Welcome back to the Seattle Mariners Baseball Podcast. Great to have you with us again. We have a very fun show for you today. As Mark Simon's going to visit with us again, one of our absolute favorites. We've talked to him many times through the years when we get a chance to chat with him again. Uh, Mark Simon, a great uh, follow on Twitter. Mark A. Simon says, works for Sports Info Solutions, and they're doing some pretty great work, especially when it comes to defense. And he's going to come on and talk about their new book, The Fielding Bible, Volume 5, is just out. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about defense in general, kind of the strides in how defense is being measured at this point, some Mariners in terms of defense as well. So that conversation comes up with one of our favorites, Mark Simon, in just a couple of minutes. Some housekeeping to take care of first. Uh, as you've probably noticed on the podcast, we're doing a few different things uh, every day talking to people like Mark and Aaron Goldsmith and Corey Brock and people like that coming on. We're also doing some things tied to Mariners Classics, which is happening every night on some of our network stations, including our flagship uh, station in Seattle, 710 ESPN. I'm putting the finishing touches. Oh, by the way, if you want to know the schedule of what games are being played, Mariners.com slash classics. I've been going through and getting May ready. I don't. Who knows how many? I don't know how long this is going to go, or how many games we'll need. But I'm putting the finishing touches on the May schedule, and I've asked for requests before, and some of your requests have made it into the May schedule. Uh, a couple of, I guess I have a few requests. Requests, if that makes sense. If you have games that you would like to hear on Mariners Classics. Uh, send them my way. If you have suggestions, I'd love to hear about it. Also, if there are games that we've played on Mariners Classics that you would like to hear on the podcast, full games, also send those requests my way. Also, if you have ideas for the show or guests we should talk to on the podcast, send those my way as well. So I guess I'm asking you for your program suggestions. So send those my way. And again, the Email address, marinerspod at mariners.com. Or if you just want to say hi, do that as well. But that's how to reach us. Again, I'd like to thank uh, thank you for all the feedback we've gotten on the shows that Aaron have come on. We've asked you for uh, we've asked you for a few different things, some of your stories. And those have been really great. It's been a lot of fun as we all kind of get through this together. So, yeah, use the email address for anything you would like. But those are some of my requests uh, if you have any thoughts or suggestions, that'd be great. MarinersPod at Mariners.com. All right, that's going to take care of the housekeeping. Let's get to Mark Simon. All right, Mark, it's always great to talk. Uh, it's too bad we always seem to get a chance to chat in the spring training in person and have you on, unfortunately, for a number of reasons. We didn't get a chance to do that this year, but it's great to talk to you nonetheless. Hopefully you're uh, safe and healthy and everything else. Yeah, we're we're doing all right here in uh, Eastern Pennsylvania. Uh, the the state has gotten hit pretty hard, but the governor is very aggressive uh, in shutting things down. And I think now we're just like uh, everybody waiting to to get out of this. Yeah, no question about that. And 
It's going to be fun for the next few minutes to have an actual baseball conversation. And I, I always really enjoy the work you, that you do. And I really appreciate the work that you've done on the defensive side of things, too. I think it's such a fun conversation to have. So let's start with uh, what you've done recently with the Fielding Bible. Yeah, uh, our company has a book out. Uh, heck of a time to have that, I guess. The Fielding <laughs> Bible, Volume 5. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the fifth uh, edition of, of, of um, what our company does. And we, uh, for those unfamiliar, we market our information and data. We track uh, data that takes place in games, uh, and we market it to teams uh, that they use for game strategy decisions and strategic decision-making related to games and player evaluation and our expertise is on the defensive side. And each time we come up with a new development for defensive stats, uh, we put out a new book and we came up with a new development on the defensive side for infielders where we're now able to better track their value. Um, I guess the easiest way to explain it is uh, we can separate where a guy was positioned from just how good he is at making the play. So, for example, uh, on a ground ball down the line, uh, if the third baseman was positioned uh, along the line, he doesn't get as much credit as he used to get uh, for making the play. But if he had to go a long ways to make the play, uh, he's now getting more credit than he previously uh, was was getting. So I guess you think of it, uh, I guess if to take a Mariner, take someone like Kyle Seeger and um, ground ball down the line that maybe our system uh, had pegged as being like a 30% chance to get an out. But in reality, where Kyle Seeger was playing, it was only like a 10% chance to get an out. And he made the play. Uh, so he's getting a value add for that. And that allows us to uh, better evaluate infielders. It allows us to evaluate infielders when they shift. That was one of the weaknesses of our stat. We didn't necessarily uh, do that in the past. Uh, unfortunately, with the Mariners, the numbers are, are pretty pretty grim. Mm-hmm. But I think you kind of know that going in. Uh, and anyway, that's that's our new development. And we put out this book. It's 350 pages or so. Uh, it includes stats. It includes essays on every team. Uh, and it includes kind of a guide to how our metrics work, uh, both from, I guess, what you would call an easy-to-understand perspective and something where you might get a little bit more of a, of a statistical background to, to understand it. I think the work is fantastic. And I, I've always thought, you know, I think we all recognize how important the defensive side of the game is. I just think for a long time, it's been a hard conversation to have because, you know, offensive numbers are, are right there and it's just an easier conversation. In a general sense, how much progress have we made in the past decade, 15 years, just in terms of how we can talk about defense and uh, how we can really get a better gauge numbers wise for what's going on? So this is a, a work that's been in progress for a couple of decades now. And if you think about where it was when it started, something like 2000, um, I, I think the easiest way to think of it is all plays were valued equally. Mm-hmm. The really tough ball in the gap in left center field is the same as the routine fly because all we were tracking were put outs and assists and errors. And you don't really get a feel for difficulty of play uh, and plays that 
people didn't make that maybe they should have made. Like Matt Chapman probably makes 30, 40 plays a year that uh, that guys don't necessarily make. Uh, and there are some guys that miss 20 to 30 balls that uh, they should have fielded. And there was no way to, to properly gauge that. Now, with things like our stats, with things like StatCast, uh, data. You can track that stuff. Uh, and I think it, it allows us to get a better understanding. You, you kind of know who the really good guys are and the, the really bad guys are, but then there's everyone in between. You can kind of get a better feel for just how good they are. I'm glad you mentioned Matt Chapman. We get a chance, obviously, to see him in the division a ton, and <laughs> he is something to watch. How good is Matt Chapman defensively? So in our system, <laughs> it's funny. Uh, he went from being like superstar to otherworldly mm. uh, because it turned out that he was uh, being hurt by um, where he was positioned. Like there were balls that he was missing that he uh, that weren't his fault. Like there were balls that he had no chance at, but he was losing value for them in our system. Now he gets that value back plus. He gets the value of plays that he was making when he was in a shift and essentially playing shortstop instead of third base. And he was very good when he played shortstop instead of third base in defensive shifts uh, when he played in kind of that uh, territory. And he rates considerably better than just about anybody else in the game. Uh, he is well better than any third baseman, Nolan Arenado of the Rockies. Uh, included, he's way better than Seager. Uh, he's way better than Machado. He he just he's kind of on a Brooks Robinson path at wow. the early point in his career, three four years in. Um, from a, if you think of it from a statistical perspective, uh, he's that good. Uh, just think about it like when you see him rob someone on a, on that ball down the line where he's in foul territory where he makes the throw. There aren't other other third basemen don't make that play because they don't have the arm and they don't necessarily get to the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, and we uh, we we have in our system we can separate getting to the ball and then finishing the play, which is the, the throwing arm. And we can tell you that Matt Chapman just blows everybody away in in, in both essentially. Wow, hey, you mentioned Brooks Robinson. How how do you compare? modern day, you know, players playing now compared to, I don't know, some of the guys we think about, the Ozzie Smiths, Brooke Robinsons of the world? So that's really hard because uh, the data doesn't necessarily exist. Uh, there are yeah. substitutes for that. Like if you go to baseball reference, uh, they have something that they put under their run save category for Ozzie Smith and Brooks Robinson that they call total zone runs, mm-hmm. which was the invention of someone named Sean Smith who now I believe, uh, the last check, I believe worked for the Angels. Uh, and his thing was uh, establishing, um, using put-out-the-system errors, like if you were getting more of those than you would expect based on how often your pitcher threw a ground ball. Uh, and in the end, that's actually a pretty good way to do it. Because if you look at the leaderboards, and they have it back to like the 50s on baseball reference, your leader at first base is Keith Hernandez, who's all world. Mm-hmm. Your leader at sixth base, I think, was Ozzy Smith, who was all world. Your leader at third base is Brooks Robinson, uh, and Greg Nettles is way up there, too. Those are all guys. Like the guys that should be at the top are the guys that are at the top because they're able to make more plays. And in the end, and we have this explained at the very beginning of the book, that's what it comes down to. You're able to make more plays 
uh, on balls uh, that are difficult to make plays on than other players. And uh, so it's hard to cross compare uh, across errors, but we can tell you like that, that Matt Chapman is at the very top in his era, just like Brooks Robinson was at the very top in his. No, that's a great way to put it. I was thinking about it in terms of Omar Vizquel, you know, because there are, are people pushing for, you know, his Hall of Fame case based on his defense. And I was thinking about it in modern terms as like an Anderton Simmons type who seemingly, and you can tell me, uh, tell me better, but seemingly has been really good at his position for a long time. It's interesting. Simmons has never made an all-star team, but I wonder if someday – will be in a position talking about Simmons and the Hall of Fame based on his defense. That's a good one because it, it's it's similar. It seems like Simmons picked it up uh, offensively. Um, the, yeah, Angleton Simmons is to shortstop kind of what Chapman is to third base. Mm. He had a six-year run for us. Um, we do, instead of the gold gloves, we do our own award where we call it the Fielding Bible Award where uh, a panel votes uh, and you get one award. It's not two awards, one for each league. It's just one period. And Andrelton Simmons uh, had won six in a row before he got hurt this year. Uh, so I, I think he was pretty highly respected by uh, just about everyone uh, around baseball. Wow, that's impressive. So I was reading recently your article. You picked uh, the – Defensive player of the decade for every American League team. And I don't think it's a, a huge surprise that Ichiro was your selection uh, for the Mariners during that stretch. Yeah, uh, and I think deservedly so. Um, they were like, Seager was, was one of the contenders, certainly. Um, but Ichiro's number, especially in the early part of his, when he first came over like that, 2003, 2004, which is the infancy of our uh, statistics. We, uh, our stats go back to 2003. Mm. He was putting up uh, um, essentially, I don't have it in front of me, but gold glove-esque type numbers every year. And it wasn't just catching balls, uh, but it was the throws too. And the arm was uh, extremely valuable. And so, yeah, I, I did go uh, Ichiro for the Mariners defender of the decade. Where is Kyle Seeger defensively? Uh, that's a good question. He, give me a second to turn to his page here. Uh, Kyle Seeger is uh, is considered to have, uh, by our stats, the most accurate throwing arm hmm. uh, in the majors among third basemen. And I think that if you're someone that watches regularly, you, you kind of have that figured yeah. out. Uh, as a Mariner fan, his uh, we have so we now separate it as I was, as I was kind of getting at. We can separate it into your range. Did you get to the ball? And then your throwing. Were you able to complete the play? So some guys like just to give an example, like Fernando Tatis on the Padres, Fernando Tatis Jr. gets to everything and is one of the best at it. But his throws are all over the place. So his defensive run saves it actually like it's near zero because his range is like 10 and then his throwing is like minus 10. Um, but uh, Kyle Seeger typically in, in throwing, I'm looking at it typically rates among the league leaders and doesn't matter third base, shortstop, second base. He doesn't necessarily get to everything that he should, but he makes up for it because the things that he does get to, uh, he turns them into outs because he's great at finishing plays. 
How are different positions looked at differently? I'm, th I'm thinking of Evan White, who's, uh, when the season gets going, is expected to be the first baseman for the Mariners. And we've heard comparisons to some of the very best there's been defensively, Keith Hernandez and others, about how he plays the position defensively. But I'm thinking, you know, first base is obviously different than shortstop, is different than third base, is different than catcher. Uh, how, are, how is that looked at? How are different positions taken into account? Yeah, so everything is kind of gauged uh, best when you compare it uh, to position. And first base, the first base has always been tricky because you not only have to establish what's the value of trying to make a play, but also it's what's the value of uh, handling throws. Mm. And as it turns out, most first basemen are really good at handling throws. You have guys on the extremes. Uh, but the, like the difference between the best and the worst isn't necessarily that great. So there isn't necessarily a huge value add for being really good at that. Mm -hmm. The value for a first baseman comes generally in being able to range well off a of first base, whether it's to go to your right uh, to make that play in the 3-4 hole. Pujols was really good at that as prime in St. Louis. Uh, and less so since he went to Anaheim, obviously. Uh, the ball and then stopping the ball down the line. Um, I think there's a good example for that, but uh, Matt Olson might be a good example for that. Um, but that, that's where the value is for first baseman. And generally by our metrics, first baseman come out lower. Like for us, for a shortstop, like 20 runs saved is really, really good. 30 is like superstar. 10 is good. And like zero is average. Um, first base, generally 10 is like really, really good. Uh, there aren't that many first basemen that would have more than 10 runs saved. Uh, I'll be curious to see how Evan White uh, does uh, when once he does, once we get back to playing again. Yeah, absolutely. We're all looking forward to it too to see him at first. We saw some glimpses in spring, and it looked it looked pretty impressive. So, what do you think the next frontier is on the defensive side of things? So one of the one of the things that we're very into is studying positioning and things like defensive shifts. And some of the things that you've seen recently are shifts uh, where outfields will dramatically overplay a guy. Um, and we've done some things related to the effectiveness of that. But then you get into the, the real extremes of that are when the when teams go four-man outfield. Um, and I think you might see a little more of that uh, in the future. Um, if, like, Tampa Bay is good at evaluating uh, when something like that is needed and when isn't it. And you have to you know, take a lot of factors into consideration. It's the batter's fly ball tendency. It's the batter's um, tendency to pull the ball. Uh, and then you have to look at it for the pitcher too, right? Because the pitcher certainly plays a big role in it. I did a story um, where I watched the Rays defense for a game, just wrote about everything that I saw from just watching them, keeping my eyes on them. And I talked to the first and the third, the, the positioning, the infield and outfield positioning coaches before the game. And the outfield positioning, no, I think it was the infield positioning coach, said there's one matchup in this game, and I think it was like Labor Torres versus Emilio Pagan, where if it's the right situation, we'll go for a man. But that's wow. the only one where we would do it because we don't feel that it's necessarily right uh, for, this, for this time. And uh, that, they, unfortunately, we didn't get it. I was really hoping for it, but uh, we didn't get it. But it was nice to hear the kids of this of it that they, you know, that, that the Pagans 
fly ball tendencies were that were what led them to think that something like that could work. Um, and it ha- it's had mixed results. Like there's um, one or two teams that have tried it a few times and it didn't take for them to work out as well. But there are some times when it, it could potentially work. When we do get back to baseball, it's we're going to have a shortened season. I mean, one way or another, we're not sure uh, how many games we'll be looking at. But how do you think a shortened season will impact the numbers that you'll look at defensively at the end of the day? Uh, well, they'll be smaller for one thing, and you'll just have to kind of prorate them. Mm-hmm. We'll certainly you know, have things like per 162 games. Per, for a field, it would be like per 1,000 innings, right? Mm-hmm. Something like more realistic for for that. Um, I'll be curious to see how much time it takes people to be to look sharp, both at the plate on the mound and then in the field too. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly, you would think it would take a few weeks of uh, you know, re-spring training, uh, essentially, to get things up and going again, and uh, boy, uh, sign me up for that. As soon as that, yeah. uh, as soon as that starts, that would be fantastic. But I think we still got a little ways to go. No doubt about that, Mark. It was really great to catch up. The Fielding Bible, Volume Five. Uh, I know you have a pin tweet. Mark A. Simon says it's an easy link. I assume people can get the book anywhere. You can get it um, at actasports.com, A-C-T-A sports.com, if you want to support an independent book publisher. Nice. Uh, otherwise, uh, the big sites All right. uh, certainly would have it. I, I would I would just, uh, just close, I would describe it as the kind of book that both Aaron Goldsmith and Rick Riz would really like. <laughs> That's a perfect way to put it. That is a perfect way to yep. put it. Well, Mark, it was so great to catch up. I always love talking baseball with you. Let's do it again soon. You got it.